Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. Long division sure comes in handy. All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. Just say no to family values. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab. And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice. This is Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what if I write a poem like a song? Good afternoon and welcome to Wax Poetic. I'm one of your co-hosts today, Pamela Bentley. And we have with us a new co-host who is joining the Wax Poetic Collective. Kevin Spence. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting to yeah, be co-hosting. Yeah, this has been in the works for a few months. Woo! Finally, I'm here. We are going to hear, as though it's live, a recording that we are doing on Monday afternoon. And we are going to be talking on the phone with, with Kim. Kim Goldberg, one of my favorite new poets. That's right. And before we turn it over to Kim for a poem, I just want to say, if you're a long-term listener, don't worry. RC has not quit the show. Uh, we're just uh, getting a few more people involved so that um, he doesn't have to be here every week. And you'll have noticed um, the last couple of weeks that he's been replaced by kind of a gravel-toned RC impersonator. So he um, is happy for the break this week, I think, to rest his voice. And we're hoping he'll get it back. And then I'm going to be a for a couple of weeks at the end of May and maybe Kevin will come in. I don't know. We'll see. There's also another person in the work to join the collective. So we're going to be mixing it up a little bit. But today our guest is Kim Goldberg. And Kim, are you on the phone with us? Yes, I am. Welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show today. And you are calling in from? From Nanaimo. All right. Let's hear a poem. All righty. Here we go. It is dark inside the body or an unopened box. We cannot know if the cat is alive or dead without lifting the lid, which changes everything. We cannot even be sure it is still a cat, or was ever a cat, and not an infant or an atom bomb. The perfect knowledge we are seeking is not available on this time-space continuum. The best we can do is make an educated guess that, after a certain amount of time, the cat or infant, or atom bomb, will have expired. All night, the sound of shopping carts clattering through the streets. Wonderful. Beautiful. Now that is from your new book? That's from my latest book, Undetectable, and that in some listeners will certainly recognize the literary form, but others might not. It's a Japanese literary form called Haibun, which involves a short um, lyrical, descriptive prose paragraph followed by haiku poetry, a three-line haiku. And that together is a form called Haibun. And um, it's commonly used for travel diaries. And uh, this particular book is about my recent treatment and cure that I did last year that cured me of hepatitis C, which I had lived with my entire life. And I happened to be reading Matsuo Basho's most famous uh, haibun narrative ever written, Narrow Road to the Interior, at exactly the same time I started treatment. And it just, I was overwhelmed with the need and the urge to document my own journey using the same form. And was there something about 
your own journey that you thought, besides the fact that you happened to be reading it at the same time, that fit? Well, you know, Basho's Narrow Road Road to the Interior is a journey. It's actually a collection of four different foot journeys he took uh, toward the very end of his life, and it refers to uh, the Narrow Road to the Interior is a very rugged, isolated northern interior of his country, Japan, and of course this was done four centuries ago, but it also uh, refers to an interior journey, a much more esoteric interior journey, because he made that and the three other foot journeys in the final decade of his life. He was quite ill. Uh, He'd lost or given away everything he owned. I think at least two of his hermit huts had burned down by that point. And, you know, I have to say, that is all just um, a scenario that has a, a lot of impact and resonance for anybody who's lived a lifetime with chronic hepatitis C. And so I did identify with it quite a bit, and I also was really aware that while I was making an external journey, because I'm a walker, I live in downtown Nanaimo, and so I'm walking every day, it was also a huge internal journey that I had not really anticipated. I thought, okay, I'm just going to take these pills, thank God they're finally here, get cured, wham, bam, done. But no, that it was so much more is involved in a a healing. There's stuff down there that you would never imagine (laughs) is down there. (laughs) So I kind of, I did in my own way, uh, sort of shadow Basho's journey, both exterior and interior as I went along through my 84 days of treatment. And Kim, you wrote 84 Paibun. Um, was there a specific ritual that you went through? Did you write every morning at the end of each day? Um, I, not, you know, not so much. What was happening, and this, even I think Basho did this, this way a little bit, although the purists would say, oh, no, you mustn't do it this way. But, you know, we've got to just go where the creative energy moves. I was walking every day, and I was absolutely writing the haiku at that time. But the haibun, I often would be writing later in the day, and then mm. I would be matching the relevant haiku to them. Um, so, yeah, I, I did walk every morning, and I always had a pen in my hip pocket, but that was for writing the haiku portion of it. I honestly never felt like writing the prose the prose blocks when I was out walking around. It was interesting the way that worked, but that's pretty much the way it w- went for me. So you said that you thought you were just going to take this me- the the treatment and be done with it and that it turned into something else. Do you have a piece maybe that you could read that demonstrates that fairly um, well or Yeah, I'm sure I do. I'm sure I, I if I'm I putting could... you on the spot. No, I, I know I do. The question is where is it? Oh, yeah, that's what I mean by putting you on the spot. <laughs> uh, yeah, page 60. I might have one here. Oh, I don't know. Well, we'll try this one. Okay. Uh, it's, it's not really quite the right one, though. Well, that's all right. You can read this one, and you can always find the And then, the right I, and then yeah. I'll hunt around at some yeah, point for while sure. I find something else. Um, looking back, I see that my solitary path commenced after I returned from Morocco in 1981. A palm reader in Tangier told me I would have a long and serious illness ahead. Fourteen years later, I was diagnosed with hepatitis C. It had been quietly replicating in my body long before the prophecy in the Casbah. I have never made the connection until this moment. In online forums, hep C patients refer to themselves as hepers, a phonetic stone's throw from lepers. The silence 
of a gull with a star in its mouth. Regardless, isolationism has become the path I walk and the path that walks me. Its purity and my ecstasy are increased by this new knowing. Low tide, all the poems lie exposed. I think that that one demonstrates it. I think I've got one somewhere that does it a little bit better, but I do kind of return to this motif or that kind of question because I still haven't really resolved it for myself, but I'm I'm 61. I am by choice single and child-free. I've lived alone all my life by choice. I've been self-employed as a writer all my life by choice, and I've always seen these as signs of my independence, my autonomy. Um, But I came to wonder, at a later point, are these byproducts of my disease? Is this isolationism Hmm. simply a side effect of the disease itself? And so I really, that was something that brought up a lot of soul-searching for me, as, as was the question of, I have lived my whole life with this, who will I be without it? Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. Was there ever a moment of hesitation after you found out that there was treatment available now for Hep C? Oh, you thought, I don't, I don't know if I should do that. There was a huge yeah. period of hesitation. I really, really struggled with myself. But in that case, it was probably because I was a little concerned about side effects. And yeah. somewhere early on in this, I have uh, uh, a haiku, uh, the body as village. Am I willing to burn it to save it? Mm. Um because although um, most of the new drugs are fine, I, because of my particular genotype, I had to take mine with one of the bad old drugs, ribavirin, and it um, it does do a lot of damage to the body, um, theory, theoretically temporary, but nevertheless, it's like I, it was something I had always avoided and said no to, and then all of a sudden I'm taking it. But on the other hand, I knew I would be cured in just 12 weeks, 12 weeks of pills, it's gone, and then I've got the rest of my life to rebuild and, you know, have my health. So it wasn't really until I got into the treatment that I realized the degree to which my entire life had been governed uh, in ways that were quite subliminal to me for the most part, had been governed by my knowledge that I was coexisting or by the reality that I was coexisting with a chronic virus. And my entire life has been governed by energy rationing. And that actually has a lot to do with the choice remain single, child-free, self-employed, because Mm -hmm. you can control your energy output in that situation, whereas you can't when you're in a relationship, when you're in a, when you're a parent, when, when you're, uh, when you have an employer or any sort of wage slave employment, you actually can't control or curtail your energy um, output. You have to do what's needed of you when it's required. And, uh, so, you know, it, it just, I, I really began to wonder who would I be? Who will I be when this virus is no longer in my body? I just truly didn't know, and honestly, I still don't know. That that remains an unanswered question. <laughs> um, one of the things that uh, it's interesting that you talked about energy, because one of the th- reasons we wanted to have you on this week and play this um, on. Um, this particular Wednesday is that tomorrow, Thursday, May 12th, is Invisible Illness Day. And, um, you know, invisible illnesses are, I know a lot of people talk about spoons, like how many spoons they have in terms of how much energy they have left. And invisible illness, those are things that you're always aware of that. And other people may not be aware of that. So they're not even 
able to see that you have a need to ration your energy or that you have limitations on your energy or on your health or on what you can do, your capabilities. Exactly. Even if you've disclosed to them, and of course I and many people with hepatitis C, in fact the vast majority with hepatitis C, choose to keep it a secret. So there's also the weight of secrecy. We choose to not disclose to really anybody at all. So it's a secret I've lived with for many, many years. But even when people with the invisible illnesses do disclose, people who don't have that actually can't understand that um, spoon concept. But that's Mm -hmm. exactly right, the spoon theory thing for people who aren't familiar. You know, a, a woman with chronic disease or friend said the typical thing, oh, you look fine. And they were sitting at a restaurant table, and so she handed her friend, she got, gathered up 12 teaspoons, put them down in front of her friend, and had her friend just go through her day. What did you do today? And for everything the friend said, the woman with the chronic illness took away a spoon, took away a spoon until there were no, no more spoons left, but yet the woman wasn't done recounting her day. Well, sorry, you're out of spoons. That's, <laughs> that's all the energy you've got. So it kind of takes something tangible like that for other people to... Uh, understand what that's what that's really like, but that that's exactly my life. I was choosing all the time. If I go to this festival, I won't I'll, I'll, I won't have any energy for the next three days. Right. So, is it worth it to me? You know, right. Like See, the cost to me of doing even all the kind of fun and creative and professionally rewarding things I wanted to do, I had to factor in all the additional energetic costs. You're listening to Co-op Radio, um, Vancouver Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM, CFRO. Our guest today on Wax Poetic is Kim Goldberg uh, on the phone from Nanaimo. And Kevin Spenst is doing his first uh, co-hosting gig. Hello. <laughs> um, Kevin, do you have any questions for Kim before we ask her to read another piece? Or? Yeah, yeah, it was really um fascinated by the the form of the haibun and i was wondering kim if you felt that talking about the inner and outer if you found that the lyrical prose piece expressed the outer and the haiku was kind of the inner or if if there was any sort of breakdown in general well i i would say there was kevin now i don't know um if i had thought of it before as being quite that uh you know prose for the outer truth, haiku for the inner one. But, you know, that actually does make some sense. I'm just thinking about that one for the first time. But um, I definitely was aware of an inner outer dynamic all the way through. And also what I really noticed, because I'd never written uh, haibun in an extended book-length narrative before. I had just written some individual haibun, and it's not really the same. What I noticed about this, it, it just actually kind of blew me away. It's because this is a very... Um, it's a deceptively dense form because of the way it's constructed. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, because actually if anybody looks at this book, you'll see it doesn't look like there's many words on each page. It looks like there's not a lot. There's a lot of white space on almost every page, but there's a great deal of content. And it's because the prose paragraph seems kind of one-dimensional and almost sort of banal, and then the haiku, when you, the haiku just opens it up. It's just like it rips the top off, and you're able to reinterpret it about three different ways. Mm. Um, so it, it's just so, it was endlessly fascinating to me how the addition of poetry and super brief poetry, you know, just mm-hmm. a three-line haiku, changes everything, changes all of the meaning that's preceded it in the prose, uh, and expands things and adds 
entire levels of meaning and metaphor to things. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, this is pretty exciting. <laughs> so Kevin's been riffling through the pages over here so I can have a look at what you're talking about. You know, that's undetectable. <laughs> can, can you hear uh-huh. it? <laughs> um, and uh, I would hope that you might do the same and read us another poem. Um, the yes, of course, I can never find an example of whatever it is I well, you know, that's you can <laughs> We can stall a little bit and just say something. So the, the book is called Undetectable, which of course refers to your hepatitis 3. Sorry, so hepatitis C. Hepatitis Maybe C, I can right. edit that part out. <laughs> hepatitis C. Um, and uh, I see that, who is it published by? Is it self-published or is this it? It's self-published, yes. This is my seventh book, and I um, published my first five the conventional way with established independent published trade book publishers here in B.C., two with New Star, two with Harbor, and one with Leaf Press. And then for my last two books, I self-published, because that's actually become quite um, easy and cost-effective and available to produce a good-looking book that way. And, um, yeah, I kind of like self-publishing. You have a lot of independence that way. Well, let's hear another piece from it. Okay, and this, I think, initially grew out of, um, I think it started off being about the secrecy aspect, but it changes into something else, and, you know, because of the, the haiku at the end. The word berry, if traced back far enough, is akin to the word for shelter in Old High German and to the word for save in Russian. Now I see, to bury something, bury it so deeply it will, it will never be found by others, so deeply it becomes undetectable to the world, is not an act of shame or fear or denial. It is an act of salvation and protection an act of love, in a box, in a basement, ashes. Lovely. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was kind of reflecting very much on what I had buried and the enormity of my secret. Mm -hmm. I probably had hepatitis C for 45 years. I was diagnosed 20 years before I was treated, but I probably contracted it 45 years ago. And probably from injection drug use as a teenager, but honestly, people should not think from that that um, it, everybody needs to be tested for hepatitis C. Injection drug use was uh, only one mode of transmission and quite possibly not even the most likely. Um, so uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Equivalent Agencies in Canada are now saying everybody born, particularly everybody born between 1945 and 1965, needs to be tested for hepatitis C. That's 80% of the cases are in that age demographic. So, and, and the majority of people who have chronic hepatitis C don't even know it. So that's part of, you know, there's so many reasons why it's called a silent epidemic, but that's certainly one of them is that most of the people haven't even yet been diagnosed. Well, it sounds like you had it, you said it was replicating in your body for 10 years before you were diagnosed as well, right? Or, or more. I think it was replicating in my body for 25 years oh, before I was wow. diagnosed. Yeah, because I had it, I've had it for a total of 45 years, but was just diagnosed 20 years ago. Right. So. Mm. Um, Yeah. And so, you see, that's the other reason it's uh, referred to as a silent epidemic. You can have it and live with it a very long time and really not be aware of it, not necessarily be aware of any overt health problems. I wasn't aware of any overt health problems 
or you may be aware of overt health problems, but you don't. You would never guess they're related related to the liver. So people who have hepatitis C and need to be diagnosed and treated and cured, instead they're going into the doctor and being treated for depression and they're being treated for type 2 diabetes and they're being treated for rheumatoid arthritis and they're being treated for lupus and all of the and and for non-Hodgkin's And Mm self-medicating. And self-medicating because all of those things are um, can arise from, can be consequences of chronic hepatitis C. So it's very far-reaching. People think of it as just a liver disease, but although the replication occurs in the liver, it's really a body-wide illness in terms of all the different systems uh, of the body that can be affected. Right. I was going to say earlier that I have a friend who went through this same treatment, and it was, even though it's widely available now it was pretty experimental at the beginning and she was a bit worried about it kind of some of the same things as you were talking about is it do i have to burn the village down and that the treatment itself she was exhausted at now what did she take there were i can't remember there were there were times during the treatment though it was just recently though so it may be an even more um experimental thing than you had done but yeah, but she she found that there were times during the treatment when she was just like, oh my gosh, is this worth it? And she had to just keep telling herself that she was going to be free of hepatitis at the end of it. And that sim- sounds a bit similar to what some of the, what you're saying. She she might have had ribavirin with hers like I did, which is right. one of the bad old drugs, and it does unfortunately that induces temporarily uh, hemolytic anemia, and it gets pretty brutal, and you do feel pretty ground yeah. down. In case uh, listeners are interested, what my combo was, but, you know, it's got to be different for everybody, so a person shouldn't just run out and try to buy this thing online or something, but I did 12 weeks of Harboni plus Ribavirin. Uh, Now, most people don't need to do the Ribavirin. I was doing that because of my genotype, genotype 3, but most people are genotype 1. They're just going to do the Harboni, and they'll be fine. And really, I should say, Pretty much everyone who does the new drugs gets cured. There's a very rare person who doesn't. But even then, newer drugs are, are coming online, and those will pick up the people who didn't get it from the first, who didn't get cured with the first wave of new drugs. But if you go through treatment with the new drugs, you can pretty well guaranteed to be cured. However, um, we should say, Pam, that most people here in BC and elsewhere who have hepatitis C and who know it and who are trying to get treated, they're still turned down for coverage. Their oh, coverage see, this is, is still yeah. refused. Yeah, and that, that gets back to the whole cost of the drugs. The one I took, Harboni, is the world's most expensive pill. And it would literally bankrupt the pharmacare system if they gave it to everybody who needs it. And so they aren't. But that's, you know, obviously an unacceptable situation, uh, you know, to wait till people who seem less urgent, to wait until their livers are more damaged and they're sicker before you cure them. So there's, you know, lawsuits going on everywhere and public challenges going on everywhere saying lower the cost of the drugs or make it available to everyone. And there's a whole pathway that's opened up opened up for people to go buy them generically overseas. And that could close with the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which might outlaw generic drugs. So there's just a lot of politics wrapped up in all of this. Yeah. Uh, you know, the cure is here, but because of the politics involved and the economics corporate economics involved, that doesn't mean it's actually getting into the bodies of everyone who needs it. Right. Mm. 
Well, we're almost out of time. Can you just tell us where, I know that you have a launch coming up soon of the book. Well, actually, I think I've done all my launches oh, okay. that are planned at this point. However, I do hope to do more. Um, I, I'm sure I will be doing more readings, and um, they can always go visit my website, Pig Squash Press, or look for me on Facebook or Twitter, and, um, you know, find out what I'm doing there. And, of course, it's great that we're doing this interview in May because this is a National Hepatitis C Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. So right. It, mm-hmm. It's a good month to get tested, and I think there's going to be some day in which there's free testing offered, uh, set up in little kiosks and parks, tents and things with some privacy and anonymity. Mm-hmm. And where can people buy the book in Vancouver? Well, I think uh, the website... I'm, I because I'm such a do-it-yourselfer, and so uh, uh, I have people. They can just order it from. Uh, they can go to my website, and they can either from there send me a check, or they can use PayPal, send the money to me at PayPal, and that's all on my website. And I fill all the book orders in two days. Nice, and I I highly recommend the book. I read it this morning. It was it was beautiful, and and it really it's great to see something from last year that's out in print form right now. I, mm-hmm. I suppose self publishing has the benefit right. of being able to do it um, well, a lot more streamlined. Too. And this book, more than anything else, more than any other book I've written, I actually felt urgency about it. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, the the new drugs are here right now, and people really should know and get the message. And so that you're right, that was yet another benefit of right. self publishing. We are just going to say a few events that are coming up in the Vancouver, greater Vancouver region. Um, So if you want to hang on the phone and listen to that, uh, um, we will just uh, take a few minutes with that. The main thing seems to be the Saturday, this Saturday, May 14th, there's Lit Fest, which is Lit Fest New West, and it's happening all day long at Douglas College. Um, You can get all the full details at litfestnewwest.com. There are workshop presenters, there is an Aboriginal gathering space. There is a celebration of diverse city, diverse slash city, which is multi multilingual poetry readings. The readings are going to be by Dr. A.J.K. Garg. Oh, he was just a guest on World Poetry Cafe last week. Lucy Ortiz, Tommy K. Tao, Jacqueline Mayer, Celine Bertelson, Hai Young Kim, Anita Aguere Niveras, Yaman Saleh, Satar Sabari, and his son Moven Sabari, and um, Ujal Dosanjh. I think I said that right, is reading and as is Grant Lawrence in the later afternoon. And then there's a singer-songwriter panel featuring Art Bergman, Carolyn Mark. What? Yeah. Holy Eden Fine Day, Joe Keithley, and Sean Nelson. I love it. There's some <laughs> punks in there. I like the punks and Carolyn Mark. And so lots of uh, uh, information there for you. Again, that is at litfestnewwest.com um, at Douglas College. And uh, on Sunday as well, there is the two readings in New West. There's Poetic Justice and Poetry New West. Yes, Poetic Justice, and that's Betsy Warland and some um, other guy. And some some other guy named me, Kevin maybe, Spence. Maybe Kevin Spence. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's a coincidence. <laughs> that was not intentional. And that's no, at three o'clock. But... <laughs> and that's is that the one that, that's at Boston Pizza? And that's at well, their new their new um, digs at Boston Pizza. And earlier in the day, I'll be reading some poetry at an art gallery in New New West. 
forgotten the name. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, but it's also part of, new, of Lit Fest as so well. So you can go to litfestnewest.com and find that out. I just told you what was going on on Saturday. There's a whole weekend of stuff <laughs> out there. And then also at Originals Mexican Restaurant, I believe it's at one o'clock in the afternoon. There is, that's Poetry New West. Nice. So yeah. um, thank you very much for being our guest today, Kim, and calling in. I think this is our first long phone interview since I started working on the show six years ago. Well, that's great. I, I'm I'm really happy you were able to have me on. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you so much, both of you. Well, thank, thank you, you for reading your work. And um, I'm going to just finish off now by saying uh, this is Co-op Radio 100.5 CFRO. I'm one of your co-hosts today, Pamela Bentley. And I'm Kevin Spence. And No Apologies Necessary is coming up next.